It's not been an easy year for many people. COVID is not a good way to die, and people have been separated from those that they love, whether they've died from COVID or other, other complications. Several of you have lost those that you have loved, and you have not been able to go where they were when they were sick, and you've not been able to go to funerals or memorial services. I received an, an email a few days ago from someone telling me about her husband. He went into a residential home at the end of last year because he had advanced Alzheimer's. His wife has been prevented from going to see him since April, and he would daily ask, and you can imagine this with somebody with dementia, when am I allowed to see my wife? He died earlier this month, not from COVID, but she wrote a broken heart without having been able to see her or her him. And at times like this, it is hard and painful. And maybe we feel guilty because we're far away from members of our family and unable to get there. And it is also easy, especially when we have been touched by death, to become discouraged and to think, what is it all about? Is this what life and is this what love come to? Our reading from Revelation 21 enables us to lift our eyes up and glimpse a different world. It is a reminder of our hope. Yes, Revelation is picture language. How do we describe a reality that is beyond space and time, that is bigger than space and time? But I draw from these things several, several images about our future hope. Firstly, it is new, but it is linked to the old. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. We're not speaking of people playing harps on clouds, but a transformed, a transfigured earth. You might ask, what does transfigured mean? Well, on one occasion, some of the first followers of Jesus saw him transfigured. He became radiant, his garments dazzling, dazzling, shining light, it was him, but him as they had never seen him before. There was difference, but there was continuity. There is what is old, but also what is radically new. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul responds to a question someone has put to him. It's a question I think we often think about. It says, what kind of bodies will... <clears throat> what kind of bodies will we have in the new heaven and the new earth? And Paul replies, and this is my very loose paraphrase, that's a bit of a foolish question. When we discuss what sort of bodies we will have, it's a bit like two acorns deep underground discussing what it will be like to be an oak tree. We can't even begin to understand what it will be like 
I'm sure we'll be able to recognize people and places. Think of the two disciples on the road uh, to Emmaus after the resurrection of Jesus. They did not at first recognize him, but then their eyes were opened. And it's interesting that John calls the heavenly city the new Jerusalem. There is continuity with the old Jerusalem, but everything will be radically transformed. See, says Jesus, I am making all things new. And then it's about glory. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's a picture of the people of God, of you and me, as a bride on her wedding day. When I was in the United Kingdom, I was vicar of one of the physically largest churches in the country. And we were very popular for weddings. We even had a celebrity wedding. And my claim to fame is that I have a photo of me in the middle of an edition of Hello! magazine. I would like to say that it was because of me, but actually they came to us because the brides wanted to walk down that 40 meter long aisle and then another 20. I remember very clearly one wedding. I met with the couple on two or three occasions and each time she appeared quite plain and a bit tomboyish. The wedding day came, and I used to encourage the groom to turn round and to look at the bride coming down the aisle. Well, when she came into church, she was stunning. And when he turned round and saw her, he physically shook, and I saw the tears well up in his eyes. My friends in heaven, if and when we choose to turn and look on Christ, we will be radiant and glorious like a bride on her wedding day. It's a picture that speaks to us of anticipation and hope, of love and purity, of intimacy and new beginnings, of beauty and glory. C.S. Lewis writes in one of my favorite quotes, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw now you would strongly be tempted to worship. Or else a horror or corruption such as you now meet, if at all only in a nightmare. He goes on to say, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. They are immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And thirdly, this passage talks about intimacy. God will dwell with mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them. In the Old Testament, God chooses the descendants of Abraham to be his chosen people. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. 
Now after Jesus, that promise is extended to all peoples. It includes us. It means we can know God. We trust him and his promises that we belong to him, that because he died for us, we are forgiven, that we can be his children, that he is with us. Maybe there are moments even when we glimpse that, glimpse that. Here we live by faith, but there on that day we will see him. He will be with us and we will be with him. And there's that lovely line, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. He will be to us like a parent who picks up a child who has fallen over. And he will say, it's okay, I know. I know what you have been through. I know what you have suffered. I know the pain of intense, desperate loss. I know what you have endured. It is over now. I am here. And he will wipe away our tears. And it's about life. Death will be no more. There will be no more fear of death, fear of no be non-being, of condemnation or of futility. There will be no more death, no more abandonment, no more separation from those we love. Because isn't that the real, real pain of death? That we are separated, that we think we will one day be separated from those we love and that those who have gone are separated from us. Earlier on in the book of Revelation, the writer John has a vision of Jesus in glory. It knocks him flat, quite literally. He falls on his face. And Jesus, who was crucified, who died, who rose from the dead, and who now reigns in glory, touches him and says, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last and the living one. I was dead and see, I am alive forever and ever. And I have the keys of death and Hades. When Jesus died on the cross, it looked as if death had won. Maybe you could say that his legacy lived on in his disciples, in his teaching and in his influence. But if Jesus had remained in his tomb, there would come a time when his disciples and his teaching and his influence would be completely forgotten if Jesus had remained in the tomb, then death wins and it is all so futile. But our conviction as Christians, as believers, is that he did not remain in the grave. He rose from the dead and he won the victory over death. Death does not win. Love wins. He wins. This is our hope. This is our hope for ourselves, but today especially, however far away they were, however dear and however precious they were to us, however long ago that they died, this is our hope for those we have loved and lost.